What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. Normally, we do a mailbag edition, doing things a little bit differently uh, today uh, and probably this week. We're, we're just kind of changing some things up just this week, uh, but we still got plenty to cover. Uh, we're going to talk about the Ian Rappaport report uh, about Chris Jones and his situation. And we're also going to discuss some of the quotes that we heard from the coaching staff uh, in the press conferences uh, this week, so we're gonna we got a lot to cover still. Uh, and here to help me do that are, are my dear pals. First, find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. It is Matthew Lane. Matthew, hello. How are you doing, my friend? I'm sure, like most people listening to this, I feel like I'm just kind of floating through the world right now with the way things are going in the United States. Coming off, are still in the middle of a pandemic. We have so much other stuff going on that needs to be brought to light. So many things need to be talked about. Just I hope everybody out there is being safe. I hope everybody is listening to one another. Take a second. Just take a second. Breathe. Try to put yourself in other people's shoes. But most importantly, stay safe. I hope all of you out there listening are doing good at this. I just wanted to let everyone know that we are thinking about you. We hope all of our listeners are safe. I hope everybody is taking the time to listen to everyone else. Craig, I know you wanted to get a little bit in here on this. Yes. Listen is the big thing. Listen to what people are saying. Listen to what they're really saying. Not Don't come in with a predisposed notion. Just listen and be kind. Be just genuinely kind to each other. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. Just give everybody a little bit of break right now because... We all need it. There's a lot of stuff going on. So with that being said, let's talk football. All right, let's do it. Uh, we're going to start with the Ian Rappaport uh, tweet that came out this week. Um, there's been a report that there hasn't been much traction with the Chris Jones contract situation. And Ian Rappaport chimes in with a little bit more info on the Chiefs and defensive tackle Chris Jones. The reason not much traction has been made on contract talks is because no negotiations or discussions have occurred since the tag. Jones has not participated and will continue to not participate in any OTAs, virtual or otherwise. Craig, that seems pretty important. Yeah, that's especially important here. And listen, I have said all along throughout this entire process that it didn't matter what the Chiefs said their actions spoke louder than their words. Brett Veach made it a point to say that Chris Jones is a big priority for them. Chris Jones is very important. They talked about how they had these open lines of communication. Andy Reid said that they had 100% you know, uh, attendance in all of these offseason training activities. Obviously, he meant the players that are under contract. Chris Jones isn't under contract, so he doesn't need to be there. And... Uh, Brett Veach obviously maybe has called the Cats brothers a couple times, but they haven't talked money. There hasn't been a contract in front of them, anything like that. Chris Jones was tagged immediately. He went on a talk show. He was very displeased hours after getting the tag. They talked about how they were making a priority. They haven't put any numbers in front of him. And then they talk about how, you know, oh, yeah, no ongoing lines of communications. And there's been no negotiations or discussions. This is just leading more and more towards Chris Jones playing on the tag in Kansas City next year. Well, I think a big thing here, too, is and I know you have more thoughts on this. So I'm going to kick it right back to you, Craig. If the Chiefs were to need money, let's say right now for maybe Patrick Mahomes contract, wouldn't it make the most sense to get Chris Jones deal done now versus waiting any longer on it? 
Oh, absolutely. The, the, the most money that you can clear for the Kansas City Chiefs is through a Chris Jones contract extension. If he's part of your future, he makes the most sense for getting on the books, getting some money relief, because that cap hit for that salary cap or for the franchise tag is huge. That allows you to have a little more flexibility with Patrick Mahomes, have a little bit of a, you know emergency fund unless they need to bring some guys in during the season. They like to have that. Chris Jones saves a lot of money in that regard. So the two contract negotiations, in my mind, should be fairly tandem here because one definitely affects the other. So why aren't there more conversations going on? I think everybody listening kind of knows all three of ours feelings about this Chris Jones contract situation and where we sit. So I want to take a second to kind of play devil's advocate. And it lines up kind of against what Craig's saying there at the end. If let's pretend here that they do want to get both Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones signed long term, Patrick Mahomes still is the priority. Patrick Mahomes is this franchise. He is everything to this team. What if the goal is to try to get him done first? That's going to then tell you your allotment of cash you can send to Chris Jones next. That is where you can say, okay, now that Patrick Mahomes is taking up X percentage of the cap this year and in 2021 and so on and so forth, this is how much money we can you know, give to Chris Jones going forward. This is now what we can offer him. Then it's up to you know the finer negotiations. That could be a reason that they're waiting to even have these negotiations at this point in time is simply because they need to know how much they're going to have to spend, and that requires getting Patrick Mahomes done first. I mean, maybe like, I mean, I think there's some logic to it. Like, I'm not going to completely dismiss it, but I just think the the lack of communication is so just damning in this situation, especially. I mean, if you look back, the, there's been reports there hasn't been an offer for Chris Jones uh, since going back to when they offered him the Grady Jarrett deal uh, last year, which was around 17 million. So, you know, Brett Veach gets up and says, you know, right before the draft, there's still plenty of time on Chris Jones. There's still, you know, we still got time. I think July 15th is, is you know, the deadline for us to get a long-term deal. And now we're halfway through that. A contract hasn't been extended to Chris Jones recently since that Grady Jarrett deal a year ago. And we're halfway through this window that they said that there's plenty of time and there's no communication whatsoever. Now, it could, this could all like that just does not seem like a, a situation where the Chiefs are so intent on just trying to nail down what the situation with Patrick Mahomes and they are ke- keeping a good line of communication with Chris Jones to say, hey, this is what's going on. That doesn't seem like what is happening. They, they seem completely independent of each other. They really do. These situations seem completely independent of each other, and the the, the strategy behind it doesn't seem to be synced or tied to anything. And the fact that there is, you know, no lines of real communication between either side, I just think makes it seem like what I've kind of guessed since the DeForest Buckner situation kind of happened, I think... Chris Jones is playing on the tag. I know that goes counter to a lot of reports out there that the Chiefs want, that neither Chris Jones or the Chiefs want him playing on the tag. I get it. But I think just the way the situation has played out, DeForest Buckner dropping that nuclear bomb into the situation. I mean, the Chiefs are going to have to go from, you know, roughly $17 million where they offered him last year to 22, 23, $6 million APY per year. Like that's, that's a, 33% jump in their initial offer over one year? That's massive. When you haven't talked to the player. When you haven't talked to the player. I know. That's that's the part that that I really hang up on here. Now, Chris Jones should absolutely ask for that amount of money. DeForest Buckner gets that. 
go get your money. That's the amount of money that you should be asking for. You should draw that line in the sand. But if he's drawing that line in the sand, if, you know, he and the Katz brothers are saying, this is what it takes to get me here. Because here's the other part. He's on the franchise tag. He doesn't have to be in the building. He can hold out. He's, he's not going to get fined the same way that he did last year because he was under contract. He just doesn't have to sign the franchise tag and he can just sit and hold out. We know Andy Reid doesn't like that. We know that he really, really, really hates not having all these contributors in the building, but they can absolutely do that. And they absolutely should if that's the amount of money that they want here. Now, from that regard, if they are drawing that line in the sand, if the Chiefs are really willing to pay him that amount of money, that's going to be a long conversation. That's not something that's just going to happen rapidly. And these things can happen rapidly. I'm not saying that it can't because it absolutely can. But that's something that is just a big bridge that they have to cross. And for there no, to be no conversations about it so far is just baffling. Well, me. jumping back in here, taking off the devil's advocate hat. We're done with that now. <laughs> something that really caught my kind of ear, I guess, with this one was simply the fact that Chris Jones is sitting out virtual OTAs. That's something that's very easy. You can sit at the computer for, you know, an hour and a half to not be sitting out these OTAs, you know, however long they are. That's very easy that he can be doing. He is actively choosing to sit them out. And the plan is to sit out the OTAs once they get back on the field. Fingers crossed. It looks like we're heading that direction. That doesn't sound like a guy that's been tipped off from the team. It doesn't sound like a guy who thinks that he is getting a deal. That does not sound like a happy player. That sounds like a player who is very much prepared to hold out because he doesn't think he's getting what he wants. He is not in the situation that he wants to be in. So, I mean, I think my whole concept that I was pitching, that they're kind of waiting to see what Patrick Mahomes was going to get first you think that they would tell Chris Jones that and then he'd be more willing to show up, you know, knowing that his deal was coming next. It doesn't sound like Chris Jones believes that there is a major deal coming for him until he makes this drastic stand. Thing is, he did it last year. His holdout holds zero power because he already tried this and it didn't work. This year, he's getting a lot more money to show up and play. I just, I don't think Chris Jones has a lot of cards left to play. This is his last one and it just doesn't hold the same power that it did before. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, he, he really hasn't had any leverage in any situation. I think he made his situation worse last year when he tried to get his money last year. I mean, it's it goes back to last year. It really does. Um, and it, I think, you know, Andy has historically not liked guys holding out. And last year, he took his swing, held out, got shut out. And now we're sitting in the same situation again. He's and he's missing time now, too. Like, I'm sure, you know, Andy's not thrilled about this situation either. I, you know, I, it's kind of weird. It's kind of been a roller coaster, you know, of perception with him. Like, I think there's been times where people are really optimistic that things are going to get done. And then there's a time when things don't look like they're going to get done. Like, I mean, Chris Jones has flat out tweeted, you know, like stuff like all good things must come to an end. And it seemed like very tied to this contract negotiations. Um, I just find the whole thing fascinating. I'm not optimistic. I think he's playing on the tag. You know, I, I one thing I did think I remembering back to like April, when Brett Veach was talking about how like it's a it's a compliment that you're being put on the franchise tag, it means you're a big deal. You know, <laughs> I mean that's great. You that's that's their that's that's the closest thing they've gotten to to giving Chris's money. Uh, so I, I just found that fascinating. I don't that's, know why. That's such a that's it's such, such a, a GM statement. Oh my goodness! Oh, it's, it's, no, no. Listen, 
We're not willing to commit to you financially longer than this one year, but this is an honor. Trust me. Duh. Right. Like, <laughs> is that what you say? To, is that some? Is that what you say to someone that you're negotiating with? Oh, we're just going to put that in the bucket with uh, we want to make sure Chris Jones is here going for it. Like, we're, we're going to put those two same those two quotes in the exact same bucket. You know, just they take them with a grain of salt. It just it, actions speak louder than words. I think Craig said it. Actions Hammer that. Speak, Hammer that. Actions speak louder than words. All right, we got a few quotes that we're going to get to from the press conferences this week. Some ones that we found interesting. Uh, All defense. This is an all defense episode. I don't even know why I'm here. Hallelujah. Yes. Like, maybe I shouldn't have just showed up for this show. Maybe I just should have just sat this one out because it's just an all defense show. But let's start with a a quote from Brendan Daly on his newest uh, member to the defensive line, Mike Dana. In terms of Mike Dana, uh, it's been really good to get to know him. I've been impressed with his work ethic. I've been impressed with the way he is uh, studied, the time he's spent on his own, the questions that he's asked, um, you know, give you a, a very good feeling about where he's at and the work that he's putting into this situation. Uh, so I'm excited again to get him on the field and see what that looks like, but uh, been really happy with how that's gone so far up to this point. You know those memes that are like, you know, find something that somebody loves as much as something else? This is Brendan Daly talking about Mike Dana. Anytime this man gets to talk about Dana, he is just beaming with praise about his football character, his personality, his work ethic, and everything that he puts in. I don't think there has been a single time where Daly has not been just ready to erupt with as much praise as he can possibly put into each sentence when he's talking about Mike Dana, which is awesome. Like this is very clearly a Brendan Daly draft pick. This is a guy that Brendan Daly very much wanted on this team. He now has him on this team and he's super excited for it. And I think as fans, we have to be a little excited. I mean, you can be like me, not have super high hopes based on what you saw in film, but the way that Brendan Daly loves what Mike Dana brings to the table, to the film room, to the practice field, you have to feel like if there's a chance to maximize his potential, it's going to be a guy that believes in him 100%. And Brendan Daly is certainly that guy. Yeah, the, the rest of the defensive line is getting zero amount better this <laughs> offseason because Brendan Daly spending all of his time on Mike Dana. If you listen to Mike Dana talk for any amount of time, you get why Brenda Daly loves the guy. He's just a very team first guy. He's a very hard worker. He's a very smart kid. He just knows what he needs to do at any point. When I'm sitting there talking to him about his film, he's recalling things. He's recalling the way that he was lined up. He was recalling the shade, you know, the leverage, everything like that, what he needed to do. And that's stuff that stuck with him. He was only at Michigan for one year, and he's just pulling that stuff out of his brain like it's nothing. I have a feeling that that Brendan Daly sees a kid that he can get the most out of, that he can maximize as a player. Now, that may not be a crazy high ceiling. We may not be talking about, you know, we're definitely not talking about a guy like Khalil Mack or something like that, but you're going to see the best version of Mike Dana because he's here in the meetings. He's participating the way that this coaching staff wants him to. And in that regard, being able to get a kid like that that you know is going to show up, do his assignment, do his job, you know, to his best ability every single rep exactly the way that you ask him to, that has to just be exciting for Brenda Daly. 
because I, that's what he wants. He just wants a run, you know, a gapped out run defense that he, he can count on everybody being in the right spot. Mike Dana is really going to help with that. Rob Ninkovich. I was say, I was going to, I was, I was going to help you there, Matt. I was like, Maddie, didn't you, didn't you have the Mike, the, the Rob Ninkovich cop there? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see, you know, the way Mike, the way, <laughs> the way Brendan Daly talks about uh, Mike Dana, find someone that talks about you. The way Brendan Daly talks about Mike Tiana. There it is, Maddie. Um, he was mentioned like three different occasions in this in this in this uh, press conference. He was talked about. Uh, him and Treshawn Wharton were singled out as guys that were asking the right questions and, and doing the right things mentally to prepare. Um, it came up a couple other times. There's a lot of love for one Mike Dana and like Maddie, you know, Maddie's done all this research on the Steve Spagnuolo defensive ends. This would, I believe Maddie, correct me if I'm wrong. This would be the first Spags defensive end to play with, uh, without meeting any of the three key criteria from a size perspective. If Mike Dana plays significant snaps, which, you know, we're looking at, you know, probably 15, 20% above 15 or 20% of the snaps at any point in time in his career, he's going to be the first guy to play that many snaps for Steve Spagnuolo defense that doesn't hit these criteria that are just riddled throughout his entire career. Even out of guys he's drafted, Mike Dana's the only defensive end that he's drafted that has missed all three criteria. The only other guys he's drafted have either hit them all or missed just on weight, which is the easiest one to fluctuate. So he's already in a he's already in rare air. He's already the only guy in one category, but it's going to be completely different if he actually plays real snaps. And if he does play real snaps, I think you might see a little bit, not a wholeheartedly change, but a little change swinging more towards Brendan Daly's style of defensive end rather than just these long, strong, big defensive ends that Steve Spagnuolo likes. If he doesn't play significant snaps, maybe we're back to all length, all size again. It's just gonna it's gonna be an interesting situation to monitor going forward. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we've got more uh, quotes that we want to get to. We're going to go ahead and move on to Sam Madison talking about potential boundary cornerbacks. Um, Hamilton, you know, we brought him in, you know, to be able to come out and compete. But, you know, when you look at the landscape of offense this year, you know, you're going to have three wide receivers on the football field every single time. So you need to find that third corner. But you know, have an opportunity to, to draft Snead, um, a big corner, a physical guy, knows how to attack the ball at the highest point. Those are the things for as each and every last one of my guys they that we need to get better as the percentage 50-50 balls thrown down football fields. So, you know, Snead, Keys, um, you look at Hamilton, you know, we brought him in, you know, to be able to come in and, and solidify himself. But one guy I'm excited about is Rashard Fenton. You look at later on in the season, you know what I'm saying, even going into the Super Bowl, man, the kid, he made plays. You know, he has the CEDO's, uh concepts, understand him. Tyran was able to help him and work through him. Um, and, you know, we was able to put a pretty good run with these guys. 
Yeah, I, that's really interesting for me to listen to because Sam Madison spent so much time talking about Legereus Sneed and ball skills. We spent all of last year talking about negative ball skills. Two years now talking about negative ball skills from the Chiefs <laughs> cornerbacks. And Sam Madison comes in here for a year and says, listen, I need ball skills. He went out of his way to say, I want to get interceptions, to give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes, to give it back to the offense. That's awesome. I'm, I am on board with Sam Madison's approach to all this, and I'm on board with the approach to having that third guy, that guy that's backing up Charvarius Ward and Bashad Breland, just be an open competition here. He he gushed about Rashad Fenton. He gushed about Legereus Sneed, brought up Bo Pete Keys and Antonio Hamilton. But it seems like even though Fenton's got a little bit of the inside track at boundary cornerback, which I love, we all do, because he looked good as a boundary cornerback. He should be a boundary, not a slot. But I really like that they're giving all of those guys a fair shake at that spot right now. There's so much to unpack with what Sam Madison said. I think one of the first things I come across is there was a ton of love for Rashad Fenton. There was a ton of love for Legereus Sneed. Both guys were also specifically mentioned in regards to being boundary corners, which I think their tape aligns that that's where they play the best with. I think through a lot of what Madison said, he talked a lot about guys last year being in good position. They always had corners that were in good positions. They just weren't always making plays. And I don't think that means just interceptions, but that's certainly part of it. I think Fenton fits into that mold too. And he's real excited for guys like Fenton and Ward and Breland in the second season, their second year with this scheme being in the right position, but understanding why they're there and how to make plays from that position. They now know the techniques. They know the play calls, the kinds of covers they're running. Now they don't have to focus on what they have to do physically, but they can start trying to make plays on the ball. So a guy like Fenton probably has the upper hand, but man, Sam Madison loves him some Legereus Sneed. So I really do think it's a competition between those two guys for that third outside corner spot. And I'm, I'm very interested to watch that battle in camp. He loves himself some ball production too, because as as has been mentioned, it was mentioned like three, four, five times throughout the entire thing. Like any chance he had to mention, you know, year two step, taking a step, ball production. Uh, you know, this guy, ball production. He knows how to find the football. One of the things he talked about with Jerry Sneed is ability to get the go up and get the football at the high point. Like those are the things he wants. He's coveting. He's desperate to to get into his room. And you know what you hope is the guys that were here last year can take a step up. You know, locate the football a little bit better. Turn around and make plays better on the football. But hopefully, the guys that they're bringing in too, like a Legarius Sneed, potentially an Antonio Hamilton, uh, who doesn't seem completely out of it based on the way Sam Madison is is kind of talking about him. You know, you can kind of tell sometimes. When a coach is discussing a guy and it's basically like he's a special teams guy, but he's just kind of trying to like position it. It almost seemed it seemed to me like there's a little bit of hope in Sam Madison's eyes for Antonio Hamilton as a cornerback and not just a four core special teamer per uh, per Dave Tope. Uh, one We're more not getting off Sam Madison without talking about him unprompted bringing up Rodney Clemens. Just got to put it out there. Rodney Clemens, Juan Thornhill needs some extra time undrafted rookie out of SMU. Keep an eye on him. He might be in there for some safety reps. Maddie, I'm full disclosure. 
I almost included Rodney Clemens as a bullet point and that quote just because I know how much of a Rodney Clemens fan are you are. Also, he mentioned Rodney Clemens before Armani Watts. He mentioned Rodney Clemens before Armani Watts. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Armani Watts is making the team as a special teamer. Probably just because hashtag tope. Unless Rodney Clemens can show himself to be a quality special teams player. And then it might be about who's a better football player. And then that that might Rodney Clemens might have a, a good argument against our Armani Watts. We'll find out. Hey, Maddie, are, are you getting a custom Byron Pringle Rodney Clemens jersey made for yourself here? Listen, when we start the only Kansas City Chiefs fantasy draft, I'm taking Patrick Mahomes and my second and third picks back to back are definitely Byron Pringle and Rodney <laughs> Clemens. OK, I, I've got the name for the Byron Pringle Rodney Clemens hybrid fan club. Hit me, you're Julian the, Swanson. You're, you're the Pringons. <laughs> Pringons. Half Pringle, I, half Clemens. I don't Pringons. hate that. Pringons. I really don't hate that. Hashtag Pringons, baby. All right, let's talk about not the Pringons. Uh, we're going to get the patch uh, manufactured here shortly, and, and we'll get that out to you here in the near future. Uh, just go ahead and, and hit up at Barley Hop for no, your order. No, 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 do not do that. <laughs> All right, Matt House. Let's just talk about Matt House. Uh, you know, we've had some conversations about the Sam and Will roles. Uh, it got brought up a little bit uh, about maybe how they kind of work well together. You can kind of learn a little bit on either side. I think it is a little bit early, but I will tell you this, like that's the one thing in our scheme. Those two outside linebacker uh, positions are very, very similar. Um, so there's a lot of carryover. And when you start talking about conceptually how we build our defense, those guys are asked to do a lot of the same things. I just I find it so interesting that you know we've talked so much about Willie Gay and you know potentially starting him out the Chiefs you know really kind of hammering at that they're going to start him at Sam Matt House says so Steve Spagnolo agrees they you know they're both kind of saying the same thing we're going to start him out at Sam and you know the fact that you know there's the best coverage linebacker is going to play Sam well I really do think that the developmental arc of 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 Willie Gay is built around the idea that they believe that structurally conceptually they're going to be able to teach Willie Gay Sam a role that you know is probably going to see 30% of the snaps roughly I'm just guesstimating Craig probably has the exact decimal down um he's he's going to see a limited role and you know he's going to be able to get you know up to the speed get a, get a familiarity with the speed of the game understand structure of the defense by being and also be on the field and getting an experience with the speed of the game um, and then see, and using that as a starting point, Matt House called it a starting point, potentially to get more opportunities in coverage. I really like. I do. I believe they think that the same role is a place for for Willie Gay, rightly or wrongly. They believe that that is a, a position that is going to allow them to develop him pro- appropriately. Things will translate if he gets slid over to the will and gets more of coverage, coverage responsibilities. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen. That's what I've been saying since the draft. I, I He is your future Will linebacker. I believe that he has the capability to learn the scheme 
come in and be a true will linebacker. They believe that the arc to get there is through the Sam. And maybe it's because they watched Damian Wilson play the Sam role to start last year and then shift over to the will as he picked up the scheme and understood everything that Steve Spagnuolo and Matt House wanted of him. Now, I think it will be interesting to see how much coverage responsibility Willie Gay gets in that Sam role when they go to a nickel. Are they going to rotate Damian Wilson out? Are they going to play Willie Gay a little bit more in the nickel? Give him some dime reps. Are we going to see more of those reps? Because frankly, asking him to do that just at the drop of a hat as a Will linebacker, I think he's going to need some of those reps. I think he's going to need some of those sub package reps to feel really, truly comfortable. So I want them, if they are going to go this path with lining him up as a Sam linebacker, to really, truly give him some nickel snaps because I don't want to see that transition twice in one year having to go from Sam to Will there. I want that to be a little more seamless. The concept, I get the concept of putting a player at Sam linebacker is a lot easier to teach them, I think, the techniques that you want them to play with as your linebackers, to teach them the verbiage that you're using on the defense, to teach them the play calls. There's a lot less they have to do. It's a very limited role. I I don't know everything that the Chiefs coaching staff has going on. I know a very minimal amount, actually. But I cannot watch Reggie Ragland and Damian Wilson down the latter half of last year and think they had the same assignments or super similar roles. They played entirely different positions on the field. I don't think there's as much carryover in terms of what they're being asked to do as the way Matt House made it sound. Now, the terms or the techniques they play with very much could be similar. And maybe the goal is to give Willie Gay, the limited reps, you know, the 20 to 30% of the reps to just play Sam. It just seems like such a waste of his athleticism and what he does best, which is cover and run through space to go ahead and put him in a small confined space and ask him just to bang with tackles and to bang with pulling guards over and over again. It seems to be just a little bit of misusing of his natural ability, but I think Matt House did a very good job of leaving it open-ended. They haven't seen these guys on the field. They don't know how these players are going to mesh together. They don't know who's the best at what yet because they haven't seen it on their practice field with everyone together. There is very much a chance that Willie Gay plays somewhere else to start the year or later on. Do we think there's a possibility that they abandon the under front a little bit? That they maybe move him? off ball to try and maximize some of that fluidity in space because I agree Matt I don't want him trying to stack and shed tackles tight ends that's not his forte I've said that Hmm. before on the podcast maybe get him in a little more space maybe have him you know freed up a little more rather than trying to be as rigid with some of their four three under looks that we've seen here you know over the past year would be quite the curveball from Steve Spagnuolo with the Giants. I know I remember went back and charted it that if you had three linebackers on the field, it was very rarely just a traditional stack. And when it was, it was after motion and they just didn't switch the strong side and weak side linebackers. So they just didn't put their weak side linebacker on the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it would be different. I think it would be preferred. There's another, there's a complete other method of playing Sam linebacker. Some teams like to use a Sam linebacker that is very good in coverage. Some teams like having a good coverage Sam linebacker on tight ends and man coverage. That is the way you play it. Just you usually don't pull that guy if he can do that off the field for 70, 80% of the snaps like the Chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo have traditionally done at that position. Yeah. I'm, 
I'm holding to Matt House calling it a starting point, which he did discussing, you know, Will, Willie Gay's kind of initial role. But I do think it's just I, I do think it's just the building blocks. And I do hope he gets along quicker. I just I hope are he gets we looking quicker. at this wrong to go to kind of the kid's point. Is Matt House just simply saying this is a starting point at Sam because there's not really another person to play it? Like, is this essentially Matt House just saying like, hey, he's going to be start. His starting point is a starting linebacker because we have nobody else that can play this position. And the only place to go to is up because who else on the team are you going to put at Sam? Damian Wilson. (laughs) Darius Harris. Harris. I mean, I just but like that's a good point. That's a good way of putting it too, though, Maddie. It's like. You know, we're talking about we're talking about Willie Gay starting right now. I mean, we're still start we're still talking about him starting right now and getting him those reps on the field early. And it's not like he's not going to be able to play Sam. Like he's going to be able to play Sam. Yes, does I think he's physical enough. I think, you know, I, I think he'll hold up fine. I think he can set a decent edge if he needs to. I would prefer him at will. 100%. I'd prefer him playing off. But I I think there could still be like it's just a starting point and a potential for him to build off of it. All right, let's just let's just call it there. That's going to do it for this week's uh, Monday edition. Uh, we'll be back later this week. We're we're doing things a little bit differently. Uh, apologies, we're not doing a mailbag today, but this is what you get. Uh, and uh, we'll catch you later in the week. Be safe, be kind.